everyone and welcome to another episode of the Kate Hamilton Health Podcast. So this episode is episode number 17 and I am joined today by James Heron. So James is a physical therapist. He is the owner of Belvedere Clinic in Greystones and Wicklow. So as well as working on the half-broken likes of myself, and James also works with local GAA and rugby teams and has worked for Leinster Rugby, which I only recently found out. Uh, James is all about helping clients manage persistent pain and helps clients to take an active and informed role in their recovery. So welcome, James, which feels weird saying welcome in your office, but (laughs) welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for asking me, Kate. So um, I have loads of things I want to ask you, but I promise I won't um, I won't throw anything left field at you. But, okay. um, but do you want to start by telling us a little bit about your background, your story, kind of what got you to where you are now? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so I used to work in magazine publishing up until 2013, uh, which point the firm I was working for spectacularly went bust. Um, and so... I had always been interested in physical health and in training and things like that. Up to that point, I have, you know, pretty much always been active all my life. So I played softball, I still play softball, played rugby in school and hated it. Um, used to do a lot of running, I've run three marathons. Um, and I think that's enough for anyone. But, uh, you know, some people will want to do more. Um, so I use the redundancy package that I got to go back to school and do my degree. And so since then I have done an internship with Leinster Rugby, which was very interesting. Um, I have worked with lots of different kinds of clients. Um, um, What I always try to do is not lose sight of the client because you can get sucked into looking at an injury. Uh, without actually looking and then you sort of lose sight of the person you're you're trying to help. So um, did some work with Leinster Rugby. As you said, I've worked with lots of local Gaelic football teams, um, do some work with Wicklow Rugby. And recently I was asked to do some work working with the Durban Sharks, uh, South African rugby team that was over to play Leinster. So that was a bit of a challenge because I'm a Leinster fan. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but it was a lovely, lovely people, lovely, lovely bunch of people, very big men. Um, but again, it's all extra experience. Uh, I've been in Greystones since, uh, in the Gojim in Greystones since I think 2015. No, I should know that. Yeah. But, um, it's funny when you actually sit and yeah. think, you're like, oh, actually. You know, there should yeah. be, uh, in the in back of my mind, you should say clinic found a date, uh, but I, I can't work out exactly. But it's a but, couple of years into your, to your. Well, basically the way they struck, the way the course was structured, you spent a year uh, learning how to be a massage therapist. So that was, that gives you a foundation to actually start practicing. Yeah. And then, so you go on and you finish your degree and you come out of the other end as a physical therapist. But I was practicing as a massage therapist while I was finishing my studies. Amazing, yeah. So it was, um, so here since 2015, uh, I've been here through the lockdowns and yeah, still good, still happy, enjoying myself. That's brilliant. And did like, so that must've been a really big life change. So 2013, so nearly 10 years ago, you went from 
I presume you were just in a job. You figured you'd be in it till retirement, and or or was it always was it something you were like? I think I'm going to make a life change here, and then the situation was right. Well, I had or I had looked into the possibility of studying in this field, um, but to be to be blunt, the costs involved were just frightening. Yeah. Um, and so it was sort of sitting there as the frustrated yeah. things I'd like to do. Yeah. And then while you know, suddenly going from a situation where you're a payee worker and, re you know, regardless of what happens, the money appears in your bank account at the end of the month mm -hmm. to one where if you're not working, you're not getting paid. If you're not getting paid, how are you going to pay the mortgage? How are you going to pay the rent? So it is quite an adjustment um, and it is taken, it's taken a good few years for it to start to actually, um, you know, I spent the first three years consoling myself but I'm not losing as much money this year as I lost last year yeah um, <laughs> the joys of the start of yeah. business yeah so yeah. um but you know there have been some some fantastic summer days when I've just you know said I'm going to go in and work at 10 o'clock this morning and just sit outside yeah. and have a lovely coffee yeah. which wasn't open to me as a PAY worker. So. And I suppose the empowerment of actually, you know, this is something that you've created, and you know, that it's your business and you have that flexibility and it makes you want to work a little bit harder when it's yours as well, I think. Yeah, you are definitely motivated. Uh, I mean, as I say, we talked about the motivation of money, but the motivation of it is your business. You you get very um, paternal or yeah. maternal as appropriate yeah. uh, of the project. Um, and you definitely, I suppose one of the challenges is actually is trying to having a degree of separation between yourself and the business. Definitely, yeah. And trying to maintain boundaries uh, can be quite a challenge because, yeah. I mean, I will, my, my phone will ping on Sunday evening and, you know, it's like, uh, come on, seriously, it's yeah. Sunday evening. Yeah. It's not like, it's not even Saturday, it's Sunday evening. It's very hard to get that switch off time. And I can totally relate to that. You know, it's funny, isn't it? Working in the health and fitness industry and how your own health and fitness can really suffer. Yeah, you have from to. having your own business because it, it, it's all consuming. Yeah, you've got to keep an eye on it. You really have to keep mm -hmm. an eye on that because that stuff will. That can go out of control really, really fast. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, first topic that I wanted to talk to you about yep. is, and I know you love to talk about this, is pain. Yeah. So I've obviously been in, you know, you've been helping me with my sh shoulder recovery and we've discovered all sorts of tightnesses and things, that, you know, to work on. But you um, have taught me a lot about pain. So if would you like to kind of explain, first of all, what is pain? Should we fear it? Should we mask it? That, like, what are your thoughts on, around pain in general? So what it is, first of all, pain is a very, very complex thing. Um, it's it's a difficult thing to do, but I think it's useful to try and separate pain from um, our nerves. Our nerves will not our nerves will send information to be processed, and part of what happens at the end of that process could either become pain or not pain. Um, but the nerves are obviously they're part of the problem, uh, part of the system, but they're not the whole system. It's a lot more complex, and it's very context driven. So I would say to, and I think I have said to you, Kate, the same injury on the same person at a different time is going to hurt differently because mm -hmm. the context will change. A very simple example I give to people is somebody crossing the road. 
if they go over on their ankle when they're crossing the road, it hurts a little. Um, if you go over on your ankle at home in a, you know, a typically controlled, safe environment, it's going to hurt more. And the reason for that is there's no benefit to you as a biological en entity to grab your ankle in the middle of a busy street because you're going to get hit by a bus. Whereas at home, you're going to feel it more because it's otherwise safe. Your, your, your brain will do an assessment, a risk assessment, once the stimulus comes in from the nerves. So you go over in your ankle and nerves in the, ner in the tendons on the outside of the ankle usually are getting stretched substantially. Yeah. So that's the mechanics of what's going on there. So that information is transmitted and your, your brain does a really, really super fast risk assessment. And based on the risk assessment, it'll decide how much it hurts. So that's the first thing to say about pain. Pain is unpleasant, but it's there for a purpose. It's there to try and keep you alive, basically. Um, there are so many things out there that could potentially do damage at different levels of damage to a person. So there are people who actually are incapable of feeling pain. Um, you know, genetic conditions whereby they actually don't have a, an active pain system. And these people, they tend to not live very long lives because they can get fractures that they don't realize they've got fractures and they could be bleeding internally. Um, they can have heart attacks that they don't realize they're having heart attacks. And a heart attack is one thing, but if it becomes cardiac arrest, then you really, really are in trouble. Um, you know, an appendix rumbling is useful pain. It's, you know, these are all where pain is doing what it's supposed to do, which is protecting the system. Should we love it? Well, I don't think we love it, but we should certainly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, so I, I think, um, as I say, I am very, very interested in pain. Um, I've known people with chronic pain. So chronic pain is a situation where we go where pain is no longer being constructive. It's now it's become something that is just flipped over to another switch where even though the damage that set off the original alarm is gone, it's healed, the alarm keeps going off. So this is and this is where pain can become a problem and is a problem. And there is an epidemic of, of chronic pain in the world. It's estimated to be somewhere between one in four and one in five people in the world suffers from chronic pain. And it's an invisible condition that most people don't know. Chances are everybody knows somebody who's in chronic pain. And what causes chronic pain? Well, it's the sister. Well, and that's probably a very broad question. Well, no, I mean, it's not. It's, it's, a, it's a very good question. And, and I think if I knew the answer to it, I would probably be winning the Nobel Prize. <laughs> um, there are a number of theories. Uh, the first theory is we do know that prolonged pain will actually make a physiological change to your nervous system. So structures that took, uh, you know, there's a sort of like a tipping point. So you activate a nerve once a certain tip, tipping point is reached. Okay. Um, the body gets good at feeling pain the more it does it. So you have situations where we remember stuff. So routine things like handwriting, we learn that really slowly as a child. But as we get better at it, basically what happens is our brain starts making templates. 
shortcuts of yeah. how to do stuff, how to activate muscles. When you're doing it at first, every movement is difficult, it's awkward, it's clumsy. Uh, but as you get more experience at it, your brain learns how to move whatever you're using, a pencil, a pen, more smoothly. Um, and this is all done by creating um, templates. It's similar for for pain. My understanding is you create a template for feeling pain. Yeah, it's the same as with creating habits that, that I'd work with my clients with creating habits. It's it's you know you've got automatic habits yep. that need that you need to replace with with good habits. It takes time. It is like learning to walk or learning to write, yep. learning to drive. Yeah, and with pain, a lot of it is trying to try to um, get the person to think not so much about their pain, but about pain in a general sense and what it means. So if you can actually take a person who's got back pain, has had back pain for a long time, if you can just try and get them to understand what pain is and start and very, very gently and very carefully try to get them to use the structures that have been hurting and because they're fearful and fear is a huge part of pain. Mm -hmm. So the fear of pain can sometimes be worse than the actual pain. So one of the problems with people with chronic pain is that they become afraid. They, you're really, really frightened of doing stuff because they think, oh, the price I'm going to have to pay for this. Yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to go for a walk and tomorrow I'm going to be in agony. I'm not going to be able to do anything. And that is a really powerful deterrent. Whereas if you can get somebody to say, well, look, I don't want you to go for a walk. But what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to do a little walking. Yeah. Um, and if you can just say, look, this may hurt a little, but it's okay. Because we're only going to do a little and it's only going to hurt a little. As a general thing, as compared to your normal level of pain. This is going to, you're, you're going to take a hit for this, but it's not going to be a huge hit. And it's gradually working with the people and just gradually en enabling them to start to move a little bit more. So it's pain kind of with a purpose. As um, in you're pushing, are you, you're pushing the boundaries slightly, you're pushing slightly into the pain in order to be able to make improvements. Yes. I mean, all pain has a purpose. Uh, it's just when it becomes chronic, it's, it's, it's lost the rule book. Um, it's probably trying to say, right, say, for example, you know, you know that you can't walk 10 miles or yeah. 10 kilometers. Otherwise, you're going to be completely banjaxed for a week. But maybe you can walk three kilometers and you can try that and you can see how you respond and you say, OK, so now we know that you can do three kilometers. So immediately what you're doing is you're starting to rebuild the confidence that the person has. Yeah. So they now know that they can do three kilometers. But the other thing that they're doing now is they're starting to unlock their endogenous pain control system. Yeah. So they're turning what they might describe as a dry pain, a dry brain where they're no longer producing endorphins into a wet brain where the actual brain starts to actually release these chemicals that are natural painkillers. Yeah. Um, and we know that uh, fitness and cardiovascular exercise will actually tap into this area. So if you can get them to possibly suggest they take fewer painkillers 
and get a little bit of exercise and see how they feel. Say, so how did that go? Was that terrible? Was that good? Okay, it wasn't great, but it was better than I thought. I say, okay, so maybe 3K is too much. So let's try one. Yeah. So you do and you start and you and you just you try to find the starting point where they can actually do something that doesn't hurt yeah. or so that they're not fearful of it. And then you can start to build on that again and you can start, try to tear down one of these templates that has been created. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of time. Um, but it's, it's very important and it can be done. It can be done. And it's probably a very positive focus for someone who is in chronic pain that I can only imagine that it, you know, if the pain is all consuming, it's very hard to stay in a positive mindset when you're constantly in pain, but having something to focus on that you're working towards gives you that little bit of focus, that little kind of sense of purpose with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I think it, I think it is. I, um, I mean, the first most difficult thing that someone in chronic pain has is actually breaking a cycle that they they will find themselves in of um, disability and depression. Yeah. Um, because one of the really really terrible things about chronic pain is it creates a situation where the person becomes socially isolated. Whether it's deliberate they isolate themselves yeah. or whether others other people inadvertently isolate them they stop trying to go out yeah and then they stop being asked to go out mm. because they've been asked so many times and they've said no so many times so it's like will we ask such and such well they're usually saying so no no so we won't ask them so they become isolated um depression is a big problem with people who suffer chronic pain um because they just it's it's them in a room with their pain yeah um they find it difficult to actually create that first step um they tend to be using a lot of painkillers um and the the irony of that is if particularly if you're using painkillers with with opioids and codeine and things like that is you're actually suppressing your natural painkilling system so your natural painkilling system gets completely shut down. Yeah. So you're taking opioids that are becoming increasingly ineffective. And then you're increasing this risk, the risk of becoming dependent on them. Um, and so you have a situation where, I mean, if you want to go see the extreme of you, look at the, opi the opioid ep epidemic in the, in the States, where people were just pushed onto OxyContin and they became addicted to OxyContin and then they panicked and they said, right, we're not going to give you any more Oxy OxyContin. And people turned from OxyContin to heroin. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, um, what you've got to try and do is you've got to try and get people to come in the door and to talk about pain and to try and get them to begin to understand what's going on is not necessarily damage. Uh, might come back to that again, um, but you know, it's it's it takes a lot of courage for that person to make to make that decision yeah. because they're trying to they're in a very very dark vulnerable place. Yeah, and they're trying to get out of there, um, and so it takes a huge amount of courage for them to actually take that step. 
And it's, I think it's important to, to note as well that we really are competing with a mega industry that are constantly trying to sell us yeah. basically narcotics, but to sell us drugs to numb our pain. Well, they're in, trying, all, in so many senses of the word. Like, well, yeah. what they're trying to do is they're trying to create um, a mindset that all pain is bad. Yeah. And that any level of pain should be treated, um, which is which is just patently ridiculous. I mean, at any one given time, your nerves are going to be activated. Every single nerve from, you know, just above my forearms to underneath my neck is firing at the moment because it's detecting the presence of something touching my torso. Guess what? I'm wearing clothes. Yeah. So that's all nerve activation. So that's all potentially. Now, what happens is that gets headed off because our, our pain system and our central central nervous system is really very clever, while at the same time it can be quite dumb. Um, because it basically, yeah, that information doesn't get past my spine. My spinal cord says, don't worry about it. It doesn't even get to the brain. Now I'm talking about it. It brings your awareness. My, to my conscious awareness is now, I can yes. now feel the, the, the feeling of cloth touching my skin. Yeah. But beforehand, I was happily unaware of it. Yeah. So it can be very, very clever. So we have a, we have a multi-billion dollar industry, probably a multi-trillion dollar industry nowadays, um, that is trying to say, well, any level of pain should be medicated. Yeah. You know, so, you know, they're creating uh, painkillers, ibuprofen that are sufficiently low doses that so you can give to toddlers. Yeah. You know, I'm not entirely sure how healthy I don't have children. Maybe if you've got a toddler uh, who's not sleeping, uh, you absolutely want to try and let the toddler get some sleep. Um, you know, earaches can be particularly problematic, I think, from my recollection. And they're nasty things. And you want to try and help the child sleep. But again, you know, there's there comes a time when you have to kind of stop medicating. Yeah. And get kind of get to the root of the problem in general. Yeah, get to the root of the problem, but also get around the problem. Yeah. yeah. You don't necessarily have to find the root cause. A lot of people spend a lot of time trying to find what's wrong with them, as opposed to just saying, you're in pain, we'll treat the pain. What can we do about it? Yeah, yeah exactly. We'll treat the pain. Actually, and that, that gives me a nice kind of lead into talking about, so like with my own shoulder injury as you know, just for anyone who doesn't, that I, I I got knocked over by a wave in the sea and I wasn't sure whether it was the impact or the way I got up, but I my show, I um, got some sort of damage in my shoulder anyway. And then since then, like obviously I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't train properly on it. I couldn't really sleep on it for a while, but then my mobility was majorly affected. So my shoulder or my body has started to protect itself from the pain. So I still don't have full mobility of of in my shoulder that I would have had before. And what I know, one thing that you've been doing with me is working into the pain yeah. to try and get that movement back. So could you talk a little bit about working into pain and how the mobility, why your mobility might be affected after an injury, let's say? Um, so the musculoskeletal system is a really, really amazing complex system. It's basically a series of, you know, levers that apply force in a particular direction. The shoulder is a marvelous joint. The shoulder is like the most mobile joint 
in the animal kingdom as far as I know. So the range of motion in the human shoulder is phenomenal. And it gets that way by a lot. It, it gets its mobility from its construction. Um, now, the payoff for that mobility is stability. Yeah. Okay, so you can have a structure that's really, really stable and you're, you're going to give something back in the mobility. Or you can have something that's really, really mobile and you've got to lose something in the stability. The shoulder works by the fact that um, you have, um, I suppose you could describe it as inherently unstable because it's a ball at socket joint where the socket is considerably smaller than the ball that sits on top of it. The socket is sitting on a platform that is also mobile. So in order for it to work, you need muscles that work together. Uh, you need a joint capsule that provides sufficient movement and you need ligaments and tendons that hold it all together. So if you think about the shoulder, uh, most of the movements, you know, most people will, will recognize just its range of movement is quite phenomenal. Like that's an incredible range of movement. The closest thing we have is our hip. And our hip joint is another bone socket joint, but it's got nowhere near the same range of movement. So you need, as I say, you need muscles to work cooperatively. Yeah. And one of the things that inhibits muscle function is pain, our old friend pain. So if you think about the shoulder um, and the main group of muscles that we talk about in the shoulder are called the rotator cuff, cuff muscles. Um, and there are four muscles that work together. Now, if we have a situation where one of those muscles is hurt or in pain, it tends not to work as well. So you immediately have a situation where you've got four, three, three of the four muscles are now working and they're having to work for four. Um, so potentially what will happen, your body will always find a way to do something uh, because your brain will just say, look, I don't care, you do it. Just fix it. Get it moving. I have to get it moving. So the brain will say, whatever you have to do to keep that moving, do so. Uh, but you can only do it for so long because the other muscles will decide at some stage, no, I'm not doing this anymore. So the pain gets more. So pain will deactivate muscles and the other muscles are going to try and work harder. And then basically what happens is you create a domino effect. More and more muscles decide they're not going to work. Everything starts to hurt. You start to lose your range of movement because the muscles that provide the movement are no longer working. The other process that can be going on at the same time is you can have an inflammatory process going on. So inflammation is part of our body's repair system. We have extra blood supply to an area to prevent, bring extra white blood cells to help clean up debris. But that use, that physically uses up space. So everything yeah. gets swollen. So again, you're just cramming an already condensed space with more and more structure. Um, so you've got less movement, you're increasing pain, and so what we have to do is we've got to try and identify the muscle that hasn't been doing the work. So you go in there and you do, you'll, you'll, we use this, a number of orthopedic tests to try and isolate muscles and to test them and say, look, let's try this one. Does that hurt? No. Okay, move on. How does that one? Is that your pain? Oh yeah, that's my pain. Okay. So we have an idea that's probably that one. Okay. So then what we'll do is we'll give you exercises to jumpstart that muscle. Yeah. So everything else in the group suddenly says, oh, 
such and such is back working again. Now we'll also do some more work, general work on the other muscles just to sort of help them increase blood supply to the area and just generally improve the health. The movement and the range of movement um, can take a little bit longer depending on how long you haven't been moving because if you've been unfortunate enough to ever have to have a cast around a joint, be it an elbow or wrist or anything like that, you will know how long it takes to get that joint moving again. Yeah. Because once we stop moving, the joint just stops working um, because we're no longer producing the joint that the lubricant naturally produces to, to make it work. So that becomes stiffer and stiffer and stiffer and getting that going again can take time and it can take a lot of time um, depending on, you know, lots of factors. Um, typical factors that we've no control over are age and gender. Um, other factors we've control over are their lifestyle. Healthy people with healthy habits tend to recover faster. So uh, no tobacco, sensible quantities of alcohol, sensible quantities of sleep, um, a good healthy balanced diet. Mm. So making sure you're getting um, lots of, you know, uh, fruit and vegetables, um, sensible amounts of, of, of protein. Um, so there's lots of stuff that you can do to try and speed up the process. My clients will be laughing now listening to this. They'll think I told you to, t to say that, you know. Well, you know <laughs> that, 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 these are the things that I'm always saying. Like, you know, look at your sleep, look at your water, look at your, yeah. your nutrition. Yeah, I mean, and, and though, sorry, I didn't mention hydration, but hydration is hugely important. 75% of it is, is water. Yeah. The human body, the adult female, you're losing about two liters a day. Just by being alive. Just, just by, by being alive. Yeah. Just by being alive. You, you, water vapor as you exhale, perspiration, urine, uh, you know, all of these things are using water uh, real without you realizing it. And yeah. you know, I say on average, a healthy human female is about uh, sorry, healthy human adult female is about two liters a day. Um, that's coming out. Yeah. You got to put it back in. Um, adult males a little bit more. And again, size of the at size of the person as well is going to have a, have an impact. Uh, certainly, somebody carrying a lot of carrying more weight, um, that's those cells have got to be fed, so they need water. Um, you know, so um, kind of think got a little bit off topic there, but um, so coming back to what I do to try and help people with, so I'm going to try and identify the part of the puzzle that's not working that isn't miss that is missing and kickstart that and, and then i'm going to advise somebody say okay so this is what we've got to do you're going to have to do some strength training because i'm a big believer in strength training i think everybody should do strength training um it's so important as we get older yeah um it's you know if you want to talk about that further i'm happy to do it's, it's just it's so important as we get older to actually continue our strength it heads off so many you know potentially unpleasant things like osteopenia osteoporosis sarcopenia um all these things are you know you can't eliminate the risk but you can reduce the risk yeah. yeah, I think people are becoming more aware. Like, I've, it's funny because both of my parents are now strength training. They're both in their 60s. But 10 years ago, they, you know, they would never have dreamt of stepping into a gym because it wasn't their generation. It was it was just not something 
anyone yeah. really did. Most people their generation just didn't do that. So it's relatively new. And I think it's, you know, they started to get a fright at how much older they were starting to feel and the yeah. aches and pains and the, you know, the loss of strength. And like, it's really cool to see. And that you see around the place, there's much more over 65 classes and stuff going ahead now. And yeah, yeah that I hope that it's kind of the beginning of that for, that for everyone. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's there. I mean, if you're a gym, if you're a gym, a gym owner and you want an opportunity, these are people who have, they have money, mm-hmm. you know. So if you want to start a class for these people, you know, um, they have money and they, they will, mo- they will be motivated. Because a hip fracture is no fun. It is no fun. And I think I have, you know, that I'd have some clients, you know, that would literally only be in their 40s or in their 50s and would be afraid that it's nearly too late. No. At that stage that they hear things like, oh, you can't build muscle. You can't, you know, I'm losing muscle now at this stage. Is it too late? It's definitely not. No. And I think it's important that people know that. No, it's it's not too late. Now, here's the thing. It is a fact that... um, as we get older, like, I mean, muscle and bone is constantly being built and broken down, built and broken down, built and broken down. When we're younger, we build a lot faster than we break down. Yeah. Uh, as we get older, we build slower and we break down the quicker. But the simple fact of the matter is there's absolutely never too late to start um, because you can always make a difference. You can always improve the quality of life, improve the quality of your life. Uh, by working on your strength and by working on your fitness. Um, there's somebody, I, I saw a phrase a few years ago, that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best, next best time to plant a tree is now. Yeah, very uh, good. So when's the best time to start training? It's probably a few years ago, but the next best time is today. Yeah. So, you know, absolutely. Strength and fitness for everybody, you know. Absolutely. 50s, and it doesn't have to be complicated, doesn't it not? No. You know, I think some people are overwhelmed, like, oh, I, I don't know if I could do this, that. Like, very basic strength training. You can even use your body weight. It yeah. can be done at home. Um, <clears throat> as long as you, you kind of have a, have a plan, you know what you're doing. Yeah. It's. I mean, you can do a full workout with one resistance band. Yeah. And it is a quality workout. Uh, you don't need equipment. And, and, you know, as you say, some people... Certainly, if, if you're dealing with somebody, if, 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 if I'm somebody who has no fitness, probably the last place I want to be is a gym. Yeah. But if I know that actually I can start to make a difference at home with one piece of equipment, I would be saying, go and do that. It's a really good place to start. It's yeah. a very good place to start. Or as say, you know, working with somebody like yourself, Kate, it's a question of, you know, I mean, you understand your clients so somebody will have confidence in you and they will have trust in you and you know you work with them and you 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 work with them and you build up their strength and as they're as they get stronger they don't hurt as much yeah getting out of bed in the morning suddenly is not that big a deal and you know it's funny in that i you know a lot of my Clients say, well, when will this be better? And I say, well, I don't know, but there'll come a time when you suddenly realize that you don't hurt anymore. Yeah. And it won't be a question of there comes a time when, oh, that stops hurting. It's a question, my back used to hurt. Yeah. Or my knee used to hurt. And it doesn't anymore. And you try to work out when it stopped hurting and you can't. 
Yeah. But it just doesn't hurt anymore. So keep doing the strength stuff. Exactly. And I think it's amazing then how by starting something so simple as a strength program, and I do recommend that, you know, if people have the money to invest, it's definitely worth getting a coach who you trust, who's, who you can work with and who you can bounce ideas off and who can give you a program so that you're kind of you're you have a kind of a constructive plan as to where you're going with your strength training. It doesn't have to be complicated, it, you know, like it can be done at home, but it's, it's amazing how the other areas in your life can all start to piece together because going back to kind of the idea of endorphins yeah. and how it just in general will make you a more positive happy person you're going to be able to do more like you said suddenly yeah. you wake up one day and be able to do things that you're like oh I used to not be able to do that and you're less fearful yeah and you're more confident yeah you know and those are those are those are massive things it's, yeah. it's an amazing gift that you can give to yourself Exactly. And if you're in a position where you're not <clears throat> noticing any decrease in strength yet and you're not injured or you're not, you know, you don't feel it's a great time to start yeah. to start preventing. Yeah, any absolutely. Of these this is when you put in the groundwork so that you don't need to worry ab about a fall. I mean, yeah. how does a fall suddenly become a threat? Yeah. Think about our kids. We just pick them up. Yeah, like, oh, your grand get up, just, your, get on with it. Yeah, they, they pick themselves up. Yeah, but that's you, true. You get to a certain age, and that's a frightening thing. Yeah. So how do we stop a fall being a threat? You know, yeah. we well, the first thing we do is we learn us we learn how to pick ourselves up again. Yeah. The second thing we do is we make ourselves stronger, so that if we fall, we'll just get a bruise. Yeah. And not a fracture. Yeah, and I'm a big believer then in, you know, functional training, like a lot of things that we do in strength training are like they replicate everyday life stuff. So, you know, a squat yeah. is getting up and down off a seat without yeah. any needing assistance. Even the likes of a burpee, being able to push yourself back up oh, off the floor. Burpees. Everyone hates uh, burpees. Hate burpees. Even if we did kind of walking burpees and we got ourselves down or even a push up. Yeah, it's being able to push yourself off the floor if you fall yeah. Um, an overhead press, being able to reach the top shelf. And yeah, um, yeah like it's. They're just simple things like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. it's it's there and, and it's within the grasp of anybody. It doesn't matter what age they're starting at. Say the best time to start a program is today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So tell me. So a lot of the listeners here are a bit like myself. So they're 30 plus. Yeah. Might have had a couple of kids. What are the common kind of injuries and issues, you know, you, you might get from women who've had kids, you know, or, you know, desk jobs, busy lives that maybe they start in the gym and then suddenly they come to you. Oh, James, this is not working perfectly here. The irony is that most of the people who start in the gym don't actually come to me. It's the ones who haven't started in the gym. Okay, interesting. It's the ones who, who actually need to get into the gym or they need to be training. Um, I, I, I would consider myself sort of like a first contact physio, so sort of general practice. I see, I see a lot, you know, hips, knees, shoulders, ankles, uh, wrists, necks. See, but from a working population, I would tend to see a lot of upper body, so people working at desks uh, who shoulders. have those lovely rounded shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, well, I mean, we can talk about sitting up straight. It's not a question of how straight you're sitting. It's a question of how stiff you're sitting. If you're not moving, yeah. it doesn't matter what your posture is. The only bad posture is one that doesn't move. Um, but if you're spending 
six to eight hours in the same position, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. You're, you're going to have tight, tight, painful necks and shoulders. You're going to have headaches. Um, yeah, people, I get, I see women who've got hip pain and, you know, when you dig down into their history, they've, you know, several children. Uh, sometimes the labors have been difficult, sometimes not. Sometimes there are, you know, complications related to that. Um, it's, you know, there aren't, there's not a mixed bag. What I'm actually seeing a, more and more now, it's quite interesting, is I'm seeing more and more people with jaw pain. Interesting. Okay. So, and I think that comes down to COVID. Um, people wearing masks. Um, people stressed and clenching. clenching their teeth. People grinding their teeth at night. Yeah. People being under um, two and a half years of, while it hasn't always been extreme stress, it has been unrelenting low-level stress for about two and a half years. Which is nearly worse sometimes because you don't even realise you're stressed. Yeah, it's and so what happened is their 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 jaws are getting locked. Well, no, they're not getting locked, but they're just getting increasingly painful jaws. So they're getting tinnitus, getting facial pain. They're getting, obviously, getting pain in the jaws. Um, so that is interesting, and that is that is definitely something that's quite new uh, from my point of view. Um, but again, the other possibility is it, it could just be that I've misdiagnosed the problem, that they had jaw pain all along, and I thought it was a neck pain. Um, but um, again, so... But probably all very related anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things you do, like, I mean, there's there's a, there's a couple of things that you can do. You can work on the actual muscles. Uh, most of them is quite inobtrusive. So you work on the muscles here and into this area here and into this area here. Sometimes you do have to just go into the actual muscles inside the mouth, which is a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but uh, sometimes you just need to, to, to get that release to get the muscles to relax because they've gone into spasm. And the jaw just doesn't want to move like maybe a couple of degrees. And the per you find the person's been having soup because oh, they can't chew. They've been avoiding it. Yeah, they can't chew or they're having, they're having soup or they're having pasta because they, they don't want to move their jaw. Uh, and we move our jaw about 2,000 times a day. Wow, that's an interesting fact. Because <laughs> we use it every time we speak. We use it every time we breathe, every time we yawn. Um, when we're chewing, so we use our jaws pretty much 99 times, you know, whatever, 90% of our working day, yeah. our jaws are moving. So that's certainly something that I'm being more aware of that the possibility that somebody coming to me with a neck or a shoulder problem is actually got a jaw problem or if they've got a headache. If somebody has got a headache here, I'm usually thinking about their neck. Because yeah. it's one of the things that office workers yeah. get. Yeah. Everything gets tight. They're like mm -hmm. that. And just the muscles go into spasm. And they end up with headaches all the way here, coming here, all the way here. Now I'm saying if I'm getting headaches here, okay, I'm thinking, okay, temporalis muscle, jaw pain. What's the person? Have they been to the dentist recently? Mm -hmm. Have they been given one of those splints? Because yeah. if they... 
you know, if they've been given one of those splints, their dentist thinks they're definitely grinding their teeth. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something. Um, depending on the age, knee pain. Uh, again, people are afraid to use their knees. Yeah. They've got a pain in my knee. Okay, let's do squats. What do you mean? That would involve me doing using my knee. Yes. Yeah, people are afraid of exercise when they, they yeah. have pain. We're going to do squats and your knees are going to hurt tomorrow. But I tell you what, by the end of the week, you're not going to have knee pain. And is that because you're building up the strength in the muscles around the joints? So they're actually going to protect the joints long term? The joint is now producing synovial fluid. Okay. You're loading and unloading the joint. It is producing, it's expressing fluid into the actual joint space. So... We have a couple of things that make our joints work smoothly. We've got articular cartilage at the end of our long bones, just to smooth that. And you'll hear, and this is the only time you'll hear me use this expression, uh, you'll hear people talking about bone on bone. Yeah. Um, yeah, bone on bone. You've got articular cartilage in there. Okay, so that's a different kind of cartilage. See, it's a different uh, surface than the normal bony surface. It's sort of slick and smooth, and it moves nicely, nice and smoothly. But you've also got a joint that produces lubricants. So it's called synovial fluid and it basically lubricates the jaw. So it keeps yeah. it moving. So if you've got a sore knee, the chances are the joint is just stiff. Yeah. So you pump it full of lubricant and you get it moving. And you do that by exercising it. You do that by loading and unloading it. Yeah. Squats. Um, lunges. Lunges, yeah. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. You're just going to, as I say, you're just going to pump that joint full of food. Yeah. And the other thing that tends to happen with people with sore, sore and stiff knees is they tend to make noises. And again, that frightens people. The joints make noises? Yeah. There's a, oh, yeah. You know, that, yeah. that popping noise that joints make. And people assume it must be a problem. It's not really a problem. It's just, again, you're just filling that full of fluid. It's, it's like, a, it's like a, a, a gaseous fluid. So if you think about carbonated water, mm. you open the bottle, suddenly bubbles form. Yeah. Same thing in a joint. You change the shape of the joint, you change the pressure in the joint, bubbles form. Just pops, yeah. And it just makes popping yeah. noises as those bubbles forming. Yeah. But if you're already if you're already worried about your knee and suddenly it's starting to make noise as well. So you're adding worry yeah. to worry. Um and then what happens is you get onto Dr. Google and Dr. Google tells you you've got arthritis. Yeah. So, and then you think, you, yeah, you can't do anything then. And then you can't do anything, yeah. You know, and then your situation, well, I can't do anything because I've worn my knees out. There's bone on bone. Uh, I'll probably be in a wheelchair within the next five years. And say, get up, move. Yeah, you, that you can. There's always something to do. Get up and move, yeah. yeah. So that's, so I'd say that if I was to kind of lead into some myths that you, that need busting, we were to do some myth busting now, that would be one. Yeah. Um, so if your if your joints are making noises, uh, is it a bad thing? No. Yeah. Um, so that would be a good one. The other one is that there's a direct link between the amount of pain you're in and the amount of damage that is going on. That's a really important one, and that is that comes down to a re I think it's a three three hundred year old theory about what pain was. Um. Uh, so basically, the more pain you were feeling, the more severe the harm you had done yourself. Okay. Um, we now know that that's not true because we've done different tests. And, um, you know, as I say, I was saying earlier, like the 
the nervous system is really, really clever, but it can be really dumb and it can be fooled. Mm. So there's a, there's a few tests that are used that were that I know about. So there's a situation where you have a subject and you've got two devices that you're going to use to test their pain system. Now, they're both the same temperature, but one has got a red light on it and the other has a blue light on it, okay? So they're super cold. So they're about minus 200 degrees. And what they do is they switch it on the blue light and they touch the skin with this probe okay. and it creates pain because yeah. it is a it's a sudden change of temperature and te temperature is one of the nerve temperature change is one of the things your nervous system detects yeah so there's a sudden change of temperature and it, it stings it's, or it recognizes a problem and reports pain at a particular level so then they take that away and they take the other probe which is cooled to exactly the same temperature but it has a red light on it and they touch the skin with this same uh, obviously different probe but the visual cue of the red light confuses your body detects the temperature change, but thinks it's gone the other way because it associates red with heat. So that one, that, that probe hurts a lot more. Because it feels like a burning? Yes, because it, it feels like a burning. It's a greater threat. So you feel okay. it's the exact same stimulus from the point of view of your skin. But all the other things that make up what you feel as pain are confused. Okay. So, I mean, that's, that's one. The falling, going over the ankle is another one, you know. And a better one is, um, and this kind of brings in context. Um, there was a film made a few years ago about a climber who fell in Arizona. And he cut his own arm off. Okay. Because he, he literally, he was trapped and he knew he was going to starve to death. So he got his utility knife and he severed his own arm. Wow. And he was asked after about, uh, obviously, the obvious question is how much pain was he feeling? And he said, well, it wasn't too bad. Because, first of all, the context was different. He knew he had to do it, otherwise he was going to die. Yeah. But the fact that that should have hurt, like, that should have been the worst pain he'd ever felt. But he said, no, it wasn't too bad. Because... And that's catastrophic damage. Yeah. But it didn't hurt because there was a greater need. It was like an instinct. He had to, yeah. It had to happen. Otherwise, he was going to slowly starve to death. And he knew he didn't have a lot of time to make his decision because he'd been there for uh, two or three days. He was dehydrated. He probably realized he'd maybe three or four days before he wouldn't be able to survive. Yeah. Um, so these are these are situations where substantial injury produces in it you know small amounts of pain or you can get a really small injury so if you were a concert pianist if you injured your fingertip it would hurt a lot more because that's what you're because focused on this is yeah. this is how i make money yeah this is how i pay my bills this is what's putting gasoline in the car this is what's doing x y and z if i can't work how am i going to pay okay. my bills small injury Significant pain, yeah. big injury, small pain. So that's another one. Se severity of pain does not have a direct link on damage. Yeah. Okay. The next one is um, my back is weak. No, it isn't. Your back is, un sorry, correction. Unless you actually have 
osteoarthritis or yeah. a arthritis in your spine. Your back is not weak. The human spine is a collection of tough, solid bones, tough muscles, tough ligaments, tough uh, tendons, joint capsules, all from your coccyx to the base of your skull. It takes a lot of energy to damage it. Now, there's a lot of muscles, ligaments, tendons, and other connective tissue in there, and you can hurt them. Uh, and when, unfortunately, when you hurt your back, uh, it's very sore for a number of reasons. First of all, your whole upper body is sitting on top of it. Mm. Um, and the other reason is because there's an awful lot of myths about back pain. Yeah. Your back is strong. Let's say unless you've been diagnosed with, you know, some condition that is actually going to make you susceptible for a brittle bone condition, your back is strong. Yeah. So I suppose those would be the three main ones. And the back one is another huge reason, I think, that some people are afraid to start lifting weights as well, isn't it? They're afraid oh, yeah. that they're, they're not strong enough or they're afraid they'll hurt their back. Yeah. And I think, again, coming back to if there's someone who is afraid... <laughs> That it is just about just getting a coach, getting someone who can show you what to do. Yeah. And um, once you're doing it right, then I had a person. You can do. I had a person in here last week, and I put a pen on the ground and asked them to pick it up. They went full manual handling on me. They kept their back straight. They bent their knees. They made sure yeah. they picked up, and they weren't going to risk their back lifting a biro off the ground. Yeah. And that's it. You should lift a biro the same way you should lift a hundred kilo deadlift, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you should. Well, I mean, you should. The technique should be appropriate for the load. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. I'm not suggesting that you bend and hollow and uh, you know arch your back when you're about to pick up 150 kilos. But I'm saying if you see a biro on the ground, you don't necessarily have to squat down. Yeah. And be terrified of hurting your back. Yeah. Um. No. push it with your foot if you can move it easily with your foot you can bend your back and pick it up yeah so a little bit of common sense um is a good thing our backs are strong they're they're difficult to harm yeah that's brilliant falling off you know a bridge you know sudden car crashes things like that they're a different matter but yeah most people are not going to experience anything that is likely to damage their spine from their everyday lives. From, yeah. 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 You, Unless uh, we're talking like injury. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like I say, if, if you just, kind if, of if tomorrow you decided you've got to take up skydiving, forget everything I just said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you're talking about joining a gym, that would yeah. be uh, not, Absolutely, not to yeah. be celebrated. Joining a gym, working with a trainer who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, James, thank you so much no, for your time lovely. today. Thank you so much. So before we finish up, I just do you want to tell anyone anyone who might want to book in with you or connect with you, where will they where can they find you on social media and physically? Yep. So uh, obviously I'm in the Go Gym in Charleslands. Uh, my social media is at Clinic Belvedere. That's Instagram and Facebook. Um, my telephone number is 086-246-8014. So if anybody wants to make a booking. That would be brilliant. Um, we operate clinics Monday to Friday and, you know, in emergency cases, we will see people sometimes on Saturday. Yeah. Um, if I'm not working at sports events. 
But um, no, it's been lovely chatting to you, Kate, and I really mm. appreciate the opportunity of getting the message out to your yeah. listeners. Thank you so much. No, I've learned so much, so I know there'll be so much value in, in it for everyone else as well. Okay. So thank you. And we'll finish up because I know you have a client now. Yeah. Thank you so much. Five minutes or so. Right.